Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's the Keith Walsh podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, learn some things you didn't know Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Give you energy like buck fast And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle It's the Keith Walsh Podcast yeah. The whole day down Thanks to... Um can I turn that up a bit? Oh, let's turn it around. Hello, is that better? That seems a bit better. Oh, yeah, okay, that's good. I'm going to try and stand for this one. We'll see how we get on. Uh, good evening, it is the Keith Walsh Podcast. I am Keith Walsh. Yes, that's my name. Don't wear it out, as we used to say in first class or something. How are we doing? It is the first Monday, really. First proper Monday of the year. And it was the first actual Monday of the year as well. Could be. First proper Monday. First actual Monday of the year. Um, it's only the 4th of January, Keith. Get your shit together, please. Um, how are we all doing? I am doing good. I've got a... I'm on the dry. I may have mentioned before on the podcast. I'm drinking a can of, let me just have a look at this, sorry about all the banging and knocking and terrible audio shit going on here. Uh, it's called, it comes from Big Drop Brewing Company. It's called Paradiso Citra IPA, alcohol free. And uh, it's very citrusy, very lemony, uh, very hoppy IPA. But um, it's very, very refreshing. Hits the spot, you know. So thank you very much, Big Drop. Uh, that was uh, they sent that to me actually. Um, I may have mentioned already that uh, I am attempting to get other people to do the one hundred no booze one hundred. So it's one hundred days of no booze for the first one hundred days of the year, if you can manage it. And uh, we've got it going on. We've got our own Instagram page, no booze one hundred. If you want to follow it, um, got a little WhatsApp group going. And uh, yeah, a lot of people are doing it. It's it's actually happening, and you know I'm sure people have, have dropped off already. But you know, surely we'll get some of us to the end and across the finish line. I um I did a an Instagram live, which is just a little video piece that you can do on Instagram where you go live and you just talk about something, and you post it as a video, and people can watch it. Um. And I talked about booze, and I talked about my own relationship with the booze. I was basically talking about why 
I gave up the booze. Um, and I, I keep having to qualify that by saying, for now, for now. But, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, as as how I feel right now, I hope it's for good and I feel like it will be for good. But I'm a very faddy type person and I go through phases at the moment. Um, I tweeted the other day, it was the best, excuse me, It's got a lot of bubbles in it. Uh, it was the best thing I did. The best decision I made. The best thing I did in 2020 was giving up the booze. And I'm not, I don't want to get preachy. And this is not about anybody else. It's just about me. I felt like like the, this, this lockdown now after Christmas is just a bit shit. It's a bit of a kick in the nuts. Um, and people are angry. People are stressed and people are frustrated. And for me, that probably wouldn't have been good. Um, Like the year I had where I basically stopped working. Um, Like I stopped doing that type of work where that I'd done for most of my life where you do a job for someone and that's your job and you get paid at the end of the month or at the end of the week. You get a salary or a wage and that's your gig, that's your job. I basically finished that this year um, and kind of took a bit of a leap of faith. Now, I don't know whether, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Actually, yeah, I'll just, I feel like it either, I feel like I had the ability to make that leap of faith because of where I was in my head and probably not drinking helped me. Uh, do that. Now, whether it was the right decision or the wrong decision, so far, seems all right. I'm okay with it anyway. Like, I mean, my wife hasn't, isn't talking to me and she's kicked me out of the house and I'm living in the beds and the kids... No, I'm joking. Um, you know, so far, so good. And it's worked out and, you know, my priorities have shifted slightly and the things I thought were important have, slif- has, have, have, shifted, have shifted slightly. So it's good, yeah. And for that reason, I just thought instead of I have a, a few podcasts, a few podcast interviews in my back pocket that I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to. This will just be me talking about the booze and my relationship with booze and uh, what got me to this point and um, how I'm feeling right now, uh, which is very positive, very positive place, very good place and a place that and I want to do this. This isn't sort of, um, I don't think virtue signaling is the right, I'm not bragging. I just want to talk about it because it might trigger something with somebody else. But also I want to say things, this is therapy for me. I want to talk about how I feel out loud and record it and put it out because I don't want to ever forget how I'm feeling right now, now compared to how I used to feel. Um. Right, I've been drinking... Since I was 17 and I've never had a problem with alcohol as in it never really interfered with my life. It never, my drinking never really, although maybe it did, not that I'm not aware of, never really impacted on anybody else's life. It never had any kind of impact on my job. Having said that, I've got to qualify that because, you know, I did a job, maybe I could have done it better. Maybe, you know, you kind of start thinking maybe everything I could have, I could have done everything better. 
Maybe I could have been a better dad. Maybe I could. Anyway, um, you know, the questions as regards to the questions that you ask yourself about booze that we do all the time, because I find and I found down through the years, you know, when it came to drinking, I'd always want to know if I was interviewing somebody else or I was talking to somebody else. I'd, the only question I'd want to ask them, which I wouldn't, is how much do you drink every week and how many, you know, how many, how much would you drink? Like, do you drink every night? Do you, do you just drink weekends? And when you're drinking at the weekends, how much do you drink? And what time do you go to bed? How do you feel afterwards? Like my, I, mostly in my head when I was meeting people for the first time or talking to people or interviewing somebody famous, I, I just want to ask them how much they drank. Because we always want to compare ourselves to somebody else. And the hope is that my drinking is okay compared to somebody else. I wanted someone to tell me that my drinking was grand. Don't worry about it. But I suppose ultimately, deep down, I kind of felt like it wasn't the best thing to be doing. Not the way I was doing it. And I wasn't doing it to, you know, what you might call excess. Like, as an adult, I mostly drank at the weekends. So Friday, Saturday, rarely Sunday, but sometimes a couple of beers on a Sunday, depending. I always, I mostly worked um, on breakfast radio. And even when I did before that, I didn't, I wasn't really a, you know, a school night drinker. I think I actually would have, I think myself and my wife would have had a bottle of wine on a Sunday night when we were younger. And when the, the, I mean, when I was, before I had kids in my 20s, I would have drank any night, really. Like I would have, you know, it probably only came down to money that I didn't drink every night. You know, I'd, uh, God. Let me just go back to when I started drinking. So I didn't really drink. So 17 is kind of late, I think, for Irish kids to start drinking. Um, I do remember my first time going to a disco. Um, and drinking was in Newbridge, a, a disco called um, Nijinsky's. And I didn't, it was my first time there. I didn't really know anybody. But my cousin lived in Nace, so I was kind of, I just moved to Newbridge. He was going to this disco. I went with him and his friends. I didn't know anybody else. And I just ordered what he ordered, which was a Malibu with blackcurrant and Coke in one glass. That was my first drink. Like, what the hell? But I didn't... Like, the only other drink I knew was... That I didn't mind the taste of was... Uh, my mother used to drink Perno. Perno and... I think she just drank Perno and white or Perno and water. Uh, so the only other drink I knew to order was Perno, which is very strange. Um, anyway, I, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that night I might have had two drinks. And that was it. Um, but that was kind of the start of my drinking career. And I got into it pretty quickly. I, I liked it. I liked it. We were, uh, we, the tradition in Newbridge was uh, to drink the Buckfast. I can't remember when that came in. It's sort of around fifth year, I suppose. Shortly after I arrived in Newbridge, fifth year, maybe the summer of fifth year, in between fifth year and sixth year. Um, I think we went to Fela that year. And we all brought, you know, I think we bought between us like a case of Buckfast. We we had we went to the off-license and ordered and uh, pretty much drank that whole weekend, drank down the train. 
uh, those were the great, the good days where you just didn't suffer hangover. You didn't. You just kind of pushed on through, kept going. The only thing I remember about that is getting going halves on a crate of Bulmers and not really getting drunk, and it just gave me a headache. But um, yeah, I would have drank a lot in my in my twenties. Um, my twenties, yeah. I mean, I went through periods of just drinking kind of quite heavily. Like I remember. I can remember one time drinking all weekend and what we used to do is we'd go out Friday night for pints then we'd go clubbing Saturday night and then to take the edge off the feeling of the clubbing because uh, you'd you know you'd be up, you you wouldn't go to bed at six or whatever we would go to the pub uh, on Sunday afternoon slash evening for pints and then you know you'd get home about eight and try and get to bed at some stage because you'd have to work the next morning now I do remember after one of those weekends going to work on an empty stomach but very not feeling well at all and taking salpatine on an empty stomach and just vomiting up just raw salpatine and nothing else I remember that being a particularly bad Monday morning and just about getting through like just feeling like absolute shit you know um, but then you know I was young I was like it was all about you were working just to go out at the weekends um, it, we we travelled then a bit myself and my wife so we would have done a bit of travel lived in London for a while I didn't drink a huge amount in London I mean I would have had my fair share of nights out and sessions but it wasn't like constant um, it was a little bit more tempered I think but <laughs> but having said that it would be like you, actually no because you'd have a few beers every day so my version of not drinking too much would be not getting hammered all the time, but you'd always you'd have a few beers. All the, like, you finish work, have a couple of beers, um, and that was London. Then we went to traveling. We went to Australia, and not a huge amount of drinking as we were traveling. But we had, like Australia, obviously. Um, the thing I loved about Australia was their range of beers. Uh, they had all sorts of different you know different size bottles of beer, so like you get a. A large bottle of VB, but then you had these like um, roadies or throwbacks that were basically a twist, twist cap bottle that you just. One of them was small. I don't know what I don't know what the actual name for, but they were called throwbacks because you'd literally throw it back. And then there was a roadie, which was big enough to so you'd have a few beers in the gaff, and then you'd be heading off to the hotel, to the bar. Um, and the uh, the beer. The beer from the house to the pub was the ro- a roadie. It was just that was it was the right size for that. And I worked in pubs in Australia as well, so there's a fair bit of drinking there. Um, I do remember uh, being working in a pub, and they were doing some sort of promotion with Bailey's, and we were all legging it after work. We'd sort of started drinking and work as we were cleaning up. And normally you'd get tips, you'd get money, or, you know, people people would buy you drinks, people would give you tips, whatever, and you'd be drinking a little bit as you were working, you know, that was okay. So by the time your shift ended, you'd be, like, fairly, not pissed, but, you know, merry. And then we were we had a few drinks after work, and then we were going to some guy's house, and there was, like, stacks of this of bottles of Baileys just there. It was like they just gave them a lot of free stuff to just give out, and... Uh, I just remember leaving the back of the pub and we were jumping into the back of someone's van and as I was running 
I had three bottles of Baileys, like large, big bottles of Baileys. One of them slipped from under my jacket and they smashed all over the place. Um, I don't know why that stands out as a memory, but uh, it just seemed like good crack at the time. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, Australia, back to America, we went to Mexico. Um, kind of, yeah, I mean, at that stage, you're kind of on holidays because we, we'd been in Australia, we'd worked, and then we were kind of on our way home, so we went through America. So every night would have been, you'd have a few drinks every night. Anyway, sort of, like, that's, you know, late teens, 20s, and then, you know, kids come along and, and then you're 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 sort of your drinking habits are tempered a little bit but uh um like my latest like sorry before I stopped drinking my habit my drinking habit was no drink during the week uh, if I was working. So Monday to Friday Monday to Thursday no drink. Friday finish work and then you know you 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 could drink then Friday and that could be like if it was just a weekend home, we weren't going anywhere. That would be like a few beers and then a few glasses of white wine or maybe some cava or something, whatever was going. And I would drink, you know, I would drink a beer and have a glass of cava on the go at the same time. It was like I needed to get home my drinking for the weekend in in two nights. But it wasn't like I wouldn't stay up late on a Friday night. I'd, you know, you'd kind of be in bed till 12 and you'd pride yourself on the fact that, you know, it's not like you had to finish all the beer or, you know, keep drinking until it was all gone and... You know, I would have always said to myself, well, I don't stay up late. I just, you know, you know, but, it, you know, might start drinking at six and then drink till, uh, drink till 12 or, you know, so it depends on what was going on. You might have, one of the kids might have training, so you'd do that and then you wouldn't, you know, have a drink till later or you might be collecting a child from, there was Fridays where you had to collect a child from a disco or do that, so he, he didn't drink at all. But mostly it was Friday night and then Saturday, um, you'd kind of, you know, I didn't really suffer with hangovers as such. Like, so I could get up the next morning, uh, do the soccer practice, do the matches, do whatever. You know, never, never couldn't get up out of the bed and just and do what I had to do. Like, I'd be up and showered and gone and gone. And, um, and then Friday, like Saturday, you'd be kind of mostly thinking about what time you could kind of have your first beer. You know, because that would just take the edge off. You know, you you wouldn't have a hangover, but you'd be feeling kind of rough, you know, and, you know, the beer would just be like, ah, you know, that beer on a Saturday. Um, Sunday, didn't really drink, maybe, maybe a couple of beers, if I, if, I don't know why or what reason there might be, but I, I might, but not, not really, because what I found is if I had a couple of beers, I just wouldn't. I couldn't really sleep Sunday, and a couple of beers didn't help me sleep, and it would just be me and having had a couple of beers, just kind of feeling shit and not being able to sleep, so it just didn't work. Yeah, Sundays I didn't sleep because because I, was, I drank Friday, I drank Saturday. You know, you're talking about two nights of... um All, all the time I'm talking now, I'm thinking, Jesus, this will call, all come back to bite me in the arse when I start drinking again. But Friday and Saturday, you're talking about, like, you know, binge drinking, I suppose, for two nights. And then Sunday night, you have to get up early in the morning because I worked on a breakfast show, so I would have had to set the alarm for five, half five. I didn't really sleep Sunday nights. And it was a terrible sleep. It was like horrible, jumpy sleep. Not nice, sweaty, you know, when I think about it. Um, and you'd basically get to a point then in the night where you'd just be looking at the clock. You know, Two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, waiting for the alarm to go off, you know, tossing and turning. 
And, um, you know, how much of that was drink and how much of that was stress, I don't know. But, you know, I, I liked my job, but there wasn't, but it was a stressful job and I was clearly stressed. And the, the drinking at, at the weekend took the, you know, gave me a break from how I felt. I mean, I just obviously looking back now, I, you know, a lot of the time I didn't feel great about myself. You see, the, the hangovers were grey, were grand, and I could deal with that. And I could get up and get on with it. And then I can, you know, I definitely, you know, I wouldn't really sleep Sunday night, but I'd get up for work on Monday morning and go into work and get, you know, get through the day. Um, and then, you know, Monday night you'd play indoor soccer, or you'd go to the gym, or you'd, you know, and, and I should qualify all this by saying I was probably training for a marathon or going to the gym. So, like, you know, Saturday or Sunday, there might have been a, a long run involved, you know, thrown in there as well for good measure. Um, so there was other activities and then and then you just you know you'd pack your week with activities of the gym or five aside or hurling or whatever I was doing at the time and then but I always felt pretty shit like you know I, I, it wasn't the hangovers the next day were fine it was the week of feeling like shit like not feeling ill but feeling just it wasn't until I get, stopped drinking that, and I mostly didn't drink for 2020 and then one weekend I had a drink, just kind of went, oh, this is an experimental weekend to see. I'll have, I'll drink what I would normally drink. I had a few drinks Friday and I had a few drinks Saturday night. I think I might have had a couple of drinks Sunday. And then it was the experiment to see if it made any difference at all. Um, And it did, because what I quickly realised was it wasn't hangovers. It was, it was this, that feeling of shame of, I just felt like I'd done something bad, like I was a bad person, like, it's, I suppose it's a depre- it's an antidepressant, so I was, de- you know, I was, I don't know if depressed is a strong word, but I felt bad, and I had this impending sense of doom, like something really bad was going to happen, I was a bad person, I didn't like myself, and, uh, yeah, just, like, when I did that, I just went, oh, fuck, I forgot about this feeling, I don't like this feeling, and that was, so looking back at it now, it was literally, Drink Friday, drink Saturday, be uh, cold turkey Sunday, and then feel like sh- feel horrible, like a bad person, like something bad was going to happen. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday start to feel a bit better, and then Friday you're like, okay, I can drink again, and that was the hamster wheel cycle, circle, vicious cycle, whatever you want to call it, that I was on for a long, long time. Um, you know, not drinking during the week was kind of like my uh, get out clause or my in my own head like well I, I'm not really a drinker I don't really I, and I actually used to meet people and they said you don't really you're not a drinker are you and I'd be like yeah not really <laughs> but and on the face of it I'm not you know if I compare myself to heavy drinkers or if I compare myself to someone who drinks more than me if I compare myself to you know someone who likes to have a few glasses of wine every night like I, I you know on the face but it doesn't matter this is about it's only ever about me you, it's only ever about me. This can only be about me. It's not about anybody else, how they're coping, what they're doing. It's just about me. The reason I stopped drinking at the start of 2020, and I described this as it wasn't like a, it wasn't a terrible breakup where, you know, uh, we had a big fight and me and booze split up. We just kind of went our separate ways at the start of 2020. I was working a good bit and 
I knew I kind of, like, I knew I'd a busy, I, I needed to keep my head clear for the year ahead. I just wanted to, you know, I had decisions to make. I had, I didn't have, you know, the breakfast show had finished up. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I needed to have a clear head. I needed to figure out a few things. I had a, sh- a live show written that I wanted to perform, which I did. Well, I wanted to finish the show. I wanted to finish writing. I wanted to perform it. Actually, I don't know if I'd even written it at that stage. I was only starting to talk about it. But anyway, so I had stuff to do. I wanted to clear. So I decided at the start of 2020 to take up this challenge. I'd seen Kira Kelly on News Talk talking about 100 days of walking. So I thought, I wonder could I do 100 days of uh, no booze? And I didn't really know how long 100 days was. I didn't really think about it. But it didn't seem like that much. I thought, oh, I'll do it till March, Paddy's Day. So, uh I'll be grand till then. You know, that doesn't seem that long. Little did I know that the 100 days go from January the 1st till April the 10th, which is a lot longer than it's It's almost a whole other month than, you know, after Paddy's Day in March. Um, so I just started the year by doing the 100 days of no booze. Um, but it was at the end of that and because of, I need to go back a little bit to the year before when I started therapy. So I started seeing a therapist, I think halfway through 2019, um, or maybe even maybe at the start of that year, kind of when the shit hit the fan with the breakfast show finishing up and all that kind of stuff. And oh, I was just bad. It was a bad buzz. You know, those people were bad people around. I was dealing with bad people. It was, it was stressful. It wasn't a satisfactory time in my life. Um, and I went to therapy to you know the reason I went to therapy was it was a real kind of man's reason I was like okay I need to I need to be you know I was keeping myself fit you know I was trying to sleep well obviously I didn't I didn't deal with the booze or not I should have knocked that on the head then but anyway, I decided to go to therapy to sort of make sure that you know to get my head straight so I could deal with what I needed to deal with the best way I could and um I, uh, so I started therapy, so I've been doing therapy the whole year. So fast forward then to finishing up the 100 days of no booze. You know, looking back on it now, I realised there was something, it was all tied up together. Whatever work I was doing on myself with the therapy enabled me to decide to give up the booze for 100 days. So when it came to the end of the 100 days, I was like, actually, you know what? I come so far that I actually felt I felt better as a person. I felt more content. I didn't need uh, maybe it was maybe it was that I wasn't stressed or whatever was causing me the stress or the anxiety. I didn't need to drink at the weekend or you know I, it was one Friday at the end of the hundred days. My wife said, oh, "You're gonna have a drink," and I was like, "You know what? I should I, you know you know in your head like I knew in my head the feeling I'd get after a couple of beers or three beers or whatever and. I was like, you know what, I feel, I actually don't need, I didn't need to escape from myself. I didn't need to, I didn't need the medication that the booze offered me. I didn't need that break anymore. I was quite happy to just be myself. And I was, I I was a bit more outgoing. I was a bit more chatty. I was a bit more, uh, I had a bit more to me. You know, I didn't need the drink to kind of relax. Um, I just felt different. And I think that was, the work I'd done with the therapist and, you know, 
which led to writing the play, which led to performing the play, all that kind of stuff. Um, so there was a lot of other stuff, you know, and I, I, I know now that if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't ever have gotten to the point where I thought I might just knock the booze on the head. Um, I don't think I'd have been able to. I am... Um, 2019, I went to... So basically, after the end of 100 days, I knocked the booze on the head, didn't drink for most of the year. But just going back to 2019, shortly after we finished up doing the breakfast show, I the next week actually, we finished up doing the breakfast show, and then that weekend I went away with a couple of pals, my two cousins actually, and we went to um, we went to Newcastle to watch the rugby. And uh, we... You know, it's a rugby weekend, so that's like, you know, when I got there on the Friday, the lads hadn't arrived yet, so I just went straight to the pub and I was drinking uh, just at the bar on my own, waiting for them to arrive, drank Friday night, at some stage on Friday night, went, there was there was a match on the Friday night, uh, it's the the, champ, the Champions Cup weekend, and there's a match on the Friday night, there's the big match on the Saturday night, the Friday night we went to a match, and then at some point I got split up from the lads, don't know what happened, but I stumbled over the curb because I'd had too much to drink and obviously landed. Put my hands out, maybe a little bit too late, kind of landed on my face. So I ended up with a big black eye and a scrape across the top of my cheek. So came home from that weekend uh, with a massive raging hangover and a black eye and a big scar on my face. And then I was off on holidays with my family, which I kind of felt... I was feeling like shit anyway because of the booze and then I felt really f- shitty anyway because, you know, when you're a dad, you're not supposed to be, you know. It just seemed, just seemed messy, you know. Like that weekend, you know, nothing bad happened. Nobody died. We were very well behaved. But it's just that when you've had a bit too much drink and you fall over and you come back with a black eye and a scab across your face, it's just like, you know, you feel disappointed in yourself and you feel like you've let people down, you've let yourself down. You, it's just that shame you feel, you know. And that's partly to do with the booze. And obviously, I fell over because of the booze. Um, and then I had to go on holidays with my family with a big scar and black eye. And, you know, some of the in-laws came with us as well. And it was just... Uh, we had a lovely time, but, you know, it was just... Um, just didn't love that feeling. Um, and I think I always... You know, like everybody does, like after something like that happens, you're like, oh, maybe I just need to knock this drinking on the head um, and all you do is try and just make sure that you know you don't do it again or you know you, for a little while you just temper your drinking or you just think well I'm not you know if I'm going away for a rugby game I'm not going that mad just take it easy you know I won't start drinking early on a Friday and keep going all day um, but uh, one of my one of my worst best funniest incidents you see, the the things that happen are funny and they're great stories, but also they're sort of tinged with, there's a lot of shame and embarrassment with them as well. Um, I do remember living in London and being with my wife and going out to a very fancy restaurant. I think it was, what was it called? The Blue Note, it wasn't called The Blue Note. It was one of these, like, it was a Michelin star restaurant. I think Gordon Ramsay might have been working there, like, when he was, it was on King's Road, very fancy restaurant. We 
we had it booked ages. It was me and my wife. We had notions, you know. <laughs> me and my wife and two friends of ours, um, Ali and Matt, and they were English. And uh, he was a designer. She was uh, an actress. And we went to this very fancy restaurant with them. And we had a lovely time in the restaurant. We I think we might have ordered champagne. And we had, you know, we kind of put a bit of money aside for this particular night. And uh, we weren't uh, loaded by any stretch. But, we, you know, we made a point. We'd, we'd bought new clothes. And, we, you know, we were living the life on King's Road in a fancy restaurant. But at some point, we got back into Shaftesbury Avenue, into the West End, in it. And I presume we went to a pub after that. And then at some point we wanted another drink. So we ended up at this other kind of restaurant. Probably a touristy restaurant. We were upstairs. We didn't really want to eat much. So we kind of got a cheese board and some wine. It was probably some, you know, you probably had to, I don't know what time it was, but it was probably very late. And you probably had to order some food to get some wine. So we probably, you know, we ordered a cheese board. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but we decided to leave. And we hadn't finished the wine. And I decided to try and get out, leave the restaurant with the wine, the left half a bottle of wine in my hand. Um, was told we couldn't bring it with us. I tried to smuggle it out. Wasn't listening to anybody, you know, wasn't listening to any sense. But the next thing you know, like, our two friends and my wife are just standing, looking. Because the bouncers were trying to get it off me. And I was like, you know, I was being belligerent. And, you know, off, fuck off. You know, whatever. Next thing, every bouncer in the West End, you know, there's obviously some sort of fight. I don't know whether they have a button in their jacket that they press, and they all, all these lads and tuxes just descended on this restaurant door. I ended up like with about five guys on top of me on the bonnet of this car. They were trying to wrestle this bottle of red wine off me that, like, I don't know, probably muck anyway. Like, what was I doing? But I was basically a lovely night out with my all dressed up and you know ends up with me on the bottom of the car sort of you know I can't imagine they hurt me that much because I you know they were big guys I don't know what they were doing were they thumping me were they just roughing me up were they just but they yeah they basically had me on the bottom of the car and there's a good few of them and everybody was screaming obviously the girls were screaming you know I still feel sort of embarrassed when I think back to that but you know, and the, th- the thing about it is, we all have these stories. We've all been through. We've all been there, most of us. But it's maybe it's just part of growing up when you're Irish. These things happen. Um, but the thing that happened most recently was, um, I had a work thing. This was the year before last. It was a work thing, um, and it was on a Friday. A lot of the times as well, I didn't. If I was working because I was on the breakfast show I'd have been up very early and then not had maybe not had a nap and then had to work so I, you know I was always sort of starting on the back foot that's my excuse but anyway I did this particular job it went well we all had a few drinks we were drinking the company that we were doing the work for were um, there was spirits involved anyway and I don't really drink spirits but we were drinking spirits and we'd kind of had a few and when the job was done we all kind of hung around and it was a bit of a sort of a it was a bit of a thing where people were invited to and we were kind of standing around drinking and, you know, having the hors d'oeuvres and all that kind of stuff. And it was it was, it was was a nice time. And then after that, we went on somewhere else. And then after that, we went on somewhere else. And then at some stage, I don't know, I just, you know, I don't remember kind of what was what happened after a certain stage. 
Um, I do remember standing on a pool table at one point in a pub. But everything else is a bit of a blur, uh, you know, classic blackout. And then I remember being at my own front door with the taxi driver and the taxi driver asking my wife if, is this your husband? And my wife going, yes, that's my husband. Anyway, we paid the taxi driver. I was absolutely delighted. I'd made it home. I checked my pockets, had my phone, I had whatever money. I had everything. I was home, my jacket, home, my own front door, having been out. You know, it, nothing nothing crazy happened. I was all in one piece. Nobody had died. And I'd made it home. And I was like, that's a success. You know, that was your measure of success. Once that you made it home to your own house, you had your phone and you had your money and you had your keys and nothing, you know, nothing bad had happened. Until the taxi driver went, my wife closed the door and she was like, what, where, why, why are you here? And I was like, what? What do you mean why am I here? Um, she said, you... Are supposed to be staying in a hotel. What are you talking about? The hotel. You, uh, I had booked a hotel to stay in after because I was working. So I was due to stay. Part of the job was to stay there and, you know, not drive home because we were having a few drinks and to stay the night in the hotel and come home the next day. That was. I totally forgot. My I had a hotel room booked. All my clothes were in the hotel room. Um, I had bags up there, my car was parked in the hotel car park, and there I was at four o'clock in the morning standing in my own house in Newbridge, and I was just like, she, I mean, I can't imagine how pissed off she was in that moment. I, um, and I just went to bed, slept for a while. You, you don't know the fear, that is the fear of driving back up to Dublin on a Saturday, hungover very hungover and when I say, when I say I could get on with things you know hungover I couldn't that day very hungover uh, driving being being a passenger in your wife's car she's driving you back up to Dublin to collect your stuff from the hotel that you forgot you'd booked and you're going up to the reception and they're just looking at you because obviously they can't nobody can move use that room while your stuff is in there so you know you're getting the stuff out of the room you're collecting your car but that drive, the fear and the horror and the shame and the, it felt so bad. I felt like such a bad person, um, you know, to put your own life through that, you know. Like, my wife is sound. She doesn't deserve that. And, oh, the shame and that fear. People laugh about the fear in Ireland. Oh, my God, I had the fear. My God, I had the fear. Driving back up to the hotel that day. And then, and then, having to collect my stuff from the from the hotel and sort of explain. Not explain, but just go, look. I don't know if there was a mix-up. I don't even know what I said to them at reception, but they weren't happy either. And then collected my car and drove home. And probably had a bit of a snooze on the couch for a little while to take, to sort of pull myself together. And then probably had a few beers. And then felt like shit then for the week afterwards because... Uh, because I had had too much to drink and um, and acted like a fucking idiot and, you know, something worse could have happened. Thankfully it didn't. And you just spend the week then feeling the shame and the the, the badness of it and, and the doom and gloom and the depression and you're just trying to get through the week and, of course, you still have to work and you still have to do this and you still have to do that. Oh, God. So that was my... That was probably my finest... My opposite to finest moment. 
But either way, fast forward to a few months later, I did the 100 days of no booze. I haven't looked back since. And, uh, you know, I, I think at the same time, I've had my fair share. You know? I don't, you know, look back on it. I can't look back on it and think, well, I didn't give it a good go. There's, I've no regrets. You know, I, I feel like I'm at, the, I can get, I'm at the stage where I can go, yeah. You know, I was lucky to get out alive and uh, let's cut our losses. Let's go while the going's good. So there you go. If it is the be- if you're listening to this and it is the beginning of 2021 and you're feeling some of that has resonated with you, maybe think about joining the 100 Days of No Booze and uh, you never know. You could end up feeling like me. I didn't know. I was just taking a break. Um, and every time I say things, I have to qualify it with, maybe, I mean, maybe I will drink again, but at the moment, I don't feel like I will. That's that's what you have to do. Because I'm Irish. I'm a man. And I just don't trust myself. Uh, but ask me right now, will I ever drink again? No. Probably not. It's not worth it, mate. It's not worth it. So there you go, that's some of my booze stories, some of the, the story, the story of my booze. And uh, that's it, no guest for this podcast, just me rambling on, talking about my shite. If any of uh, of what I talked about, spoke about, resonated with you, if you'd like to feel like you'd like to talk to a therapist or a counsellor, do get in touch with me, you can email me keithwalsh.walsh at gmail.com or keithwalshpod at gmail.com. Send me an email. I don't, I'm don't. i not a therapist. I can't. I wouldn't be able to help you, but I can put you in touch with somebody who can. And, uh, yeah, feel free to get in touch and don't be on your own. January is a tough, especially this January, you know. It's tough anyway. And it can be hard, you know, it's... We don't know what's what way it's gone. Like the case of COVID today, over six thousand. They're talking about it getting up to seven thousand, which I don't know. I can't even. It just seems insane. Um, I won't be leaving the house myself unless I really have to. Um, I won't. The kids won't be going back to school next week, even if they open. Um, so it's going to be a tough few months. So just mind yourself. And if you feel like you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody. If you can, you know, if you're, if you think your partner's the right person to talk to, talk to them. If not, get in touch with someone, a professional. You can email me, no problem. Just mind yourself. And, you know, the most important thing is that we get out of this, get to the other side of this with the vaccines, ready to go with as many people as possible. Um. So, yeah, mind yourself. And thanks for listening. And don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. That's important. And rate them and review and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it doesn't feel right talking about that at the end of this podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Mind yourself.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.